Welcome to BroadEye, the podcast that explores knowledge gaps in ophthalmology and eye care. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the BroadEye podcast. My name is Sean Maloney, and I will be the host of the show today. Uh, I have a very, uh, I'm very excited about my guest today. It is Dr. Evangelina Esposito. She is um, an ophthalmologist, a researcher, uh, professor of ophthalmology from Argentina, and more importantly, she's an old friend, so uh, I call her Jenny. So, Dr. Evangelina or Jenny Esposito, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Sean. It's a pleasure to me to be here with you today. Ah, it's, 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 more, it's my pleasure. It's been a long time that, uh, that we're due to catch up. And so now I get to have you in the hot seat and ask you all kinds of questions. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah that'll be fun. So, um, but, you know, the things we're going to talk about today are uh, areas that I know a little bit about, but you know, the questions I'm going to be diving into are, uh, you know, I'm going to be learning at the same time, which is I'm actually uh, quite excited about. So with that, why don't we dive in? So I wanted to maybe kick off the conversation talking about uh, vision in vision and infants. Um, that's great, yeah. actually. Uh, that's exactly where I wanted to start. <laughs> Good. So, yeah. And just, just to give us, you know, maybe give us a bit of an overview. You know, how does... Um, you know, when, when a baby's born, you know, what do, what do they see? What do they not see? Uh, how developed is their visual system? How long does that process take, et cetera? Like, there's actually a lot of things I have no clue about here that maybe you can educate me a little. All right, a pleasure. Let's not go so fast. Let's start defining vision. Sure. What is vision? It's a complex function. And it's not only about visual acuity. It's about visual field color perception, stereopsis, and contrast, all right? What is a stereopsis? It's the, the capability to see in 3D, right? The, the environment that you have around you is a 3D environment. So in order to do that, you need both eyes. It's so complicated that you also need your brain. You have to have a healthy brain to process that information. And... After that, you can say, okay, I'm seeing, okay? It's really, really complex. So if you start in the womb, at the fourth week of gestational age, you start to have the first eye, right? Uh, It's like a really undeveloped eye, but it's the start of the eye. After the eye is formed around the fourth month, they can perceive light, right? So inside the womb, you're already seeing light through the skin of your mother. Then when you're born, you have light defense. And it's a lot of light for a baby who has seen just a bit of light every day. So it's a huge thing. And all the cells that are in your eyes starts to work in an organic manner, so you can have um, your vision. Then you can barely see at 40 centimeters, not very clearly, and it's difficult to a baby to detect colors because they don't know them yet, right? So they have to process that information. But this is enough to see near faces while you're feeding, so it's what they need. You will see that the eyes of the baby are moving all the time, like probably they're 
seeing in one way and then the, the eye is just droopy or, or change uh, the alignment. And this is completely normal until you get three months of age. After you are four months, the eyes should behave properly and they shouldn't squint or deviate in any way. The eyes should be straight and they have to fix an object and follow it through the visual field. This is normal for a four-month-old. So um, now you can have and you can talk about visual development and brain development. This is so complicated that your brain has to fix the object and adjust your sight. When you reach two years old, you have the eye of an adult. Like the size of the eye is almost the adult size and shape. So you will say, okay, maybe we can stop here. This is it. Not really. Vision keeps evolving and you can uh, have a lot of visual problems that avoid the development of a good sight. For example, if you close one eye of the baby, maybe two months old, uh, maybe he has a droopy eyelid and this obscures the pupil, then that eye can not develop well because you stop the, the stimuli that starts all the function of vision, all right? This is called amblyopia. I don't know if you heard about it. Yeah, yeah, definitely heard about ambulopia, but I'll let you right. continue, continue going on here. But I, I'm, I'm, I'm actually, I wish I was taking notes along here. There's no test at the end of this, but this, I'm already learning things. So continue. <laughs> go ahead. All right. That's um, a complex concept because um, it's there that you need to have stimuli to have vision. All right. So in any time of development, if you stop the stimuli, you stop the development of vision. This is a really important concept because if you have one eye who has a, a problem like myopia and you don't correct the vision of that eye, you will end with an amblyopic eye and it's an eye that has the potential to see because it's normal in shape but it is not developed to see. Like the brain stops the recognition of vision of, of images from that eye and blocks it because it's not right. Like the image that it's perceiving is not the right one. So this, the brain just blocks it. And this is really uh, important because it's preventable, okay? If you have luck and you have emetropic eyes and and your eyesight is normal until you reach eight years old your eyesight are fully developed right and you reach the age of eight without glasses and with great vision you are let's say normal <laughs> and after eight years the brain doesn't do that anymore like if you have a refraction problem it's okay, you will wear glasses and it will be corrected. So this is really important to have in mind for babies and kids until eight years of life. 
because after that time, if you have an amblyopic eye for any reason, if you didn't work with it before eight years old, it's really hard and almost impossible to rehab that. Like you, you don't have the, the proper means to fix that, not even with surgery. It's a um, stimuli-based uh, approach. So you really need a professional here. And when you reach 40, and let's say that you never needed glasses, you start pushing them off you to see it better. This is really important when you reach 40, because if you keep efforting and keep pushing your eyes to see, to read without glasses, you will start with a headache. No, no, no it's, it's keep going, keep going. This is, uh, it's good. You're kind of talking the whole evolution here. Um, but uh, I'm just, I was just say, I'm, almost, I'm almost 40, but my eyes are already in rough shape anyway. So fresh play, fresh play, okay. be the you least, have least a my special condition. It's okay. <laughs> but keep in mind that even if you have, if you haven't had um, a normal eye during your childhood, when you grow old, you can need glasses because vision keeps changing, right? The condition of the eye keeps changing. And that's why you always have to have your eyes checked completely. Because maybe, all right, your eyes are not the best, but with, with the pair of glasses, you can see better. So that's always a thing to keep in mind, all right? And that when you sense. reach 60, you can have uh, a condition that is called cataract, all right? Around 60 years old, it starts. And this often produce myopization of the eye. So probably you will start reading again without glasses. And that's completely normal. Sometimes it doesn't last because the cataract just evolves and you get like loss of vision secondary to the cataract. Uh, but those are the refractory changes and the refraction changes that the eye can have normally in life. Now, <laughs> after we talk about this, we have to talk about vision and problems in vision that can be avoided or prevented and problems that can't. But wait, before we go into that, I have like, right. 14, I have like 14 questions for you here. So, right. <laughs> no, no, it's interesting. You kind of give a nice overview there of uh, that visual development from, you know, from basically when you're uh, before you're born right through to. Uh, when you're older, which is which is uh, good, and then we can touch on certain some of the areas. But uh, just some questions about maybe you, you know, um, have the answers, maybe you don't, but they're just uh, some food for thought. When you're talking about um, how the development of vision is very, you know, stimulus based, and that you know early on you need that uh, those those stimuli to have proper development of vision. Otherwise, you risk you know never developing those pathways properly. Um, um, and then you alluded, alluded to the fact that, you know, in the womb, a baby at a certain age can start to detect light through, you know, through the, the mother's skin. The first thing that comes to mind is, are there any, um, developmental consequences related to, uh, you know, too much or too little light exposure in the womb? Well, that's an interesting question. It has been studied 
no um, results, um, no bad results yet. Like, let's say that it's not uh, proven that uh, either too much light or too few lights uh, would be detrimental for eye development. Nevertheless, it's always a thing that uh, we kept thinking about because um, if you think about the retina, that is a really complex structure and it's really um, metabolically active. Um, if you give more job to do in a developing retina, um, maybe there are things that we don't know, know yet that they are happening inside the eye that could have a, a consequence for the baby after. So it's a really interesting question. And we researchers also keep questioning this because um, we are still too early in the study of the embryo development, all right? There's a thing that we know how it is, but we are not there yet. It's the same as the brain. We are not there yet. Yeah, no, no, it, it makes sense. But so, but you know, early on, okay, just going back to those first, so the first few months or years after, uh, you know, after child's born. Uh, well, let's think about the first few few months or uh, the first year. The exposure to certain visual stimuli is, um, you know, is necessary for that again development of those visual pathways and and the eye and vision in general. Is there any? Uh, you know, thoughts around that or recommendations or research that, you know, a child needs to be exposed to uh, objects that are near as well as objects that are far, like, you know, looking at the horizon, looking outside, all these things. Like, I know that as they, you know, kids get older, if they don't, if they're, if they're very uh, focused on objects in front of their face all the time, whether it be books or (laughs) iPads or, or Let's whatever. Let's talk about screens. Yeah, yeah well, I love this know, question. <laughs> my, my my kids are gonna get so mad at you, but no. Um, the uh, but no, but whether it's screens, books, whatever it may be, when you're focused on something close, um, you know, you're more at risk for developing myopia. But um, yeah, that's that has just, well that's been well documented. Like yeah, if you are uh, working near, even if you're older, you will start. Um, like stimulating your eye to become myopic. Like it's, it's really um, proved, especially in people from Asia. It's really well studied and it's expected that our population will uh, keep growing the myopic people because we are every time more and more, um, let's say, more uh, acquainted to, to screens, more more comfortable with screens. Our lives go through screens, especially in pandemic times. So um, this is really hard to to avoid. But the the only thing that it's proven that is good is to have outside time. So I would advise that you have to really um, analyze the situation of every family, all right? Because if you have a a kid with special needs, it might be not the same for you, all right? Um, For example, if your kid can go and play outside, I would say, yeah, please, do it. One hour, look far, just relax your mind and 
work outside and exercise and work out because the main problem with the screens and near work is that you are too focused on that so uh, probably you will not do the breaks like the american academy of ophthalmology advises that every 20 minutes that you are in front of the screen you can take 20 seconds to see through 20 meters away like you have to look 20 meters away 20 seconds every 20 minutes that you're in front of the skin but you know even uh, as adults we don't do that right <laughs> we tell I our kids know. you need to go outside to play and then you realize you've been sitting in front of your computer for the last four hours and exactly. drinking four cups of coffee and you haven't looked anywhere else right <laughs> exactly. it's like don't, don't do what i do do what i tell you to do <laughs> of course that's the thing yeah. and your also, eyes are still developing mine are developed right <laughs> you forget about blinking okay blinking is a reflex but when you're in the screen the reflex is just decreased normally decreased because you are aware of the screen so you keep like okay my eyes are greedy my eyes are red i have to blink a lot like i i have tears in my eyes or they're burning and this is because of dry eye dry eye is that like really normal now everyone even 20 years old had dry eye even less also like at 18 years old or maybe 14 years old, they have dry eye and it's, it's a problem because you need the tears or remember how to blink, right? But this, is, this sounds silly, but it's really important. You have to it, blink. Yeah, no, for sure. And we actually, and we, we actually uh, put an episode out about dry eye with um, an optometrist, Dr. Stephen McIntosh, earlier in the podcast. Yeah, and who is listening to this, yeah, they can yeah. certainly listen to that for some info. Um, mm-hmm. I was hoping to maybe just go back to uh or the idea of okay so you've got kids um we understand a little bit about you know exposure to stimuli for proper eye development the idea that uh, probably varied stimuli and varied distances for you know facilitating that proper um development of of vision in general um as a parent what should you do you know for let's say a young Kids, let's say under the age of, I don't know, four years old, sometimes from birth to four years old, what are the kind of things that you should be aware of as a parent um, that could ultimately be important for, you know, your kid's vision? So, uh, for example, you mentioned, okay, if someone has a, a drooping eyelid that's, you know, uh, covering that's a their... thing that has to yeah. call your attention because uh, it needs special medical attention as soon as you can get it. Also, if you have probably an infection of the orbit um, that's called a cellulitis, you can have a droopy eyelid because of that, but that's temporary. So it doesn't menace your, your vision, okay? But in a baby that has, for example, ptosis, that is the, the eyelid that goes down, uh, that needs medical attention, especially if it blocks the pupil. The pupil is a black hole inside of the eye between the, the colored part of the eye that is called iris. So if you have a blockage in any sense of that dark, of that, um, of that hole, you have, to, you have to go to an ophthalmologist because that can be threatening to your eyes. Um, so if you are a mother, for example, and you can you, you see that your baby is, uh, for example, cheering all the time. This is probably normal, and the ophthalmologist would say, "Okay, let's wait until he has one years old, and we can just 
examine him there, but probably can be another thing. For example, a retinoblastoma that is a tumor inside the eye. So if you have tearing, if you have a red eye in a child, even if you think that it's maybe a conjunctivitis, if it doesn't suit with drops or if it keeps coming back and coming back, you have to be aware it could be something dangerous to the baby. So take him to the, to the health provider. That would be the best option. Um, also, for example, if you have a, a child that is squinting, uh, it has a headache and it's complaining about that, that's not normal. You should take him to the hospital. Uh, also, if he had a head positioning, for example, he always looked the television uh, from the side. That's not normal. He can be just having a strabismus that is an eye that is not aligned. So you should also take him to the, to the ophthalmologist. And also, if he keeps closing one eye to see things from near or from far, of course, if he says that he's, being, like, he's having double vision, but that doesn't happen very, very often in kids because, as, they, as I said before, they just block the image and they, they keep through because they don't know any, anything different. So they would never complain. Kids don't complain. Kids adapt. That's why you have to be, like, very attentive and very, like, awake to see this and just take him to the ophthalmologist. And the last thing that is really important to check, if you can, if you take photographs of your children and you see that one eye is different from the other in the picture, we call this red reflex when you have a picture with flash and you see like the red eyes. Probably most of the phones are fixing it automatically, but sometimes you can see a difference between one eye and the other. And this is not normal. That's called leukocoria. And that's a huge red flag because it could be from a congenital cataract, from a retinal detachment, from a retinoblastoma, that is a tumor from the eye. Um, so this is really important. There are also some apps in in the stores like you can have uh, for checking leukocoria or for checking uh, the alignment of the eyes. And this will be interesting also. Uh, there are a lot of tools that are developing now um, in technology, in the technology side, because um, there are some platforms that allow you to, to check vision like you, if you were in the office, like if you were in your appointment, uh, you can have even the optotypes, the letters, and you can check. So that's really cool. The, uh, you know, so that's interesting. You pointed a lot of things actually, but, uh, and, and you know what, a number of them can be initially assessed either using technology. Like you said, there's some apps that probably exist out there um, for this purpose. Um, but even, you know, with the rise of telemedicine, I'm sure that maybe not everything, but uh, a lot of these initial signs um, that you might notice in your, your child, a drooping eyelid or, uh, you know, the, they're looking off to the side or the eyes are not aligned or whatever it may be. I think a lot of this can probably be um, observed by, you know, a professional, even through, you know, telemedicine. Is that something that people are doing now in general that you're aware of? Well, 
um, just uh, to point it out, we, um, as ophthalmologists, we are having a lot of trouble to, to perform telemedicine because of that. Like, uh, you have two eyes. It's really hard to um, assess your vision at home. So if, you, if I ask you now, like, all right, how is your vision now? You'll probably say, okay, uh, I feel it like before, but you don't have like a, an objective way to measure. And if you can develop the apps, that would be like a great tool for us. The, another thing is smartphone cams and uh, devices that are being developed that allows you to take a picture of your retina and a picture of your anterior segment of the eye. So this is a high definition picture that I can enlarge and it's always in focus. So for me as a specialist, it's, it's great because I would have like a, an objective manner to see your, your eye. Because now we, are, we rely a lot in technology. Uh, we need uh, special um, tools and special equipment to assess your eye. Probably, uh, I don't know, um, but you can hear, heard about a retinography or an OCT. So these are complex uh, tools that are being um, developed in a smallest fashion. And well, now we are in the portable side, like they are portable now, but I think one of the goals is to, to make like um, an office that you can go inside and you test yourself, your vision. And it tells you if you need to seek medical um, attention or not that would be cool like it's like a, an automated uh, office that it just checks your eyes and tell you okay you don't need anything else or okay you you have to go to the ophthalmologist it's well great. no i mean you think about it you know people go to the pharmacy and sit down and they take their blood pressure and stuff like that so you can imagine if there was something in those types of places that people would you know visit often that uh, that they could do that to be uh, be certainly um Certainly interesting. Um, I was hoping to dive into a different topic a little bit. So All right. um, I know that you have done a fair bit of uh, research and, uh, you know, have clinical experience related to a condition that uh, does affect infants, and that is retinopathy of prematurity. So I was hoping that maybe you could explain for the audience and for me, uh, what exactly is retinopathy of prematurity and then maybe we can dive into a bit of a discussion about you know what causes it uh, you know who's at risk for it etc all right uh retinopathy of prematurity it's when vessels fail to grow normally and start to misbehave and pull the retina causing a retinal detachment this would be like the easiest way to describe it um actually when you are being born early you are still developing outside the wound. That's why you need like the NCU care. When you're in a critical care uh, unit, you, you need oxygen because your lungs are also developing. So retinopathy is really related to use of oxygen. The kids that are under oxygen therapy, they have a higher risk to have it. And also, um, as more preemie baby, more risk of having a severe retinopathy of prematurity. Uh, 
Retinotopy of prematurity has five stages, or at least it's classified like that. Like that. Um, the first one and the second one are only followed by the ophthalmologist until it resolves. If it don't resolve, it's the third stage, and that needs to be treated in the short term. You need either laser therapy or um, anti-angiogenic drugs inside the eye of the baby. Uh, that's Sorry, are those like the same? Are those are basically the same drugs you're injecting into people with, you know, uh, ma- wet macular degeneration. You're using like exactly. a, a Vastin yes. or a Lee or something like this. Yeah, yes. but yes. did you do actually an intravitreal inje- injection the same way in a in an infant? Just a little bit less, the half of doses, and really near to the limbus of the eye because they have a really small eye, so you really have to be very careful uh, when you're injecting in, in that special place. But yes, it's the same drug. Okay. So when you start, uh, you, you have uh, these vessels that are growing anyway. And for treat them, you have to just apply that drug and, and that helps to calm those vessels and make them go back. So it's, you know, it's very interesting that the um, you know, some of the pathophysiology seems to be similar in the, uh, the retinopathy or prematurity and, um, you know, in the wet neovascular AMD. or wet AMD. Yeah, it, it's, it's interesting in that the same drug, um, you know, can be used. And yeah, I can imagine that if you're trying to do an injection in the eye of a, of a premature baby, um, you know, it's got to be extremely difficult. I had, you know, my oldest son, who's extremely healthy right now, uh, was born 11 weeks premature. And mm. I can remember just how small everything was. His eyes, you know, like <laughs> it's, it's phenomenal. Um, and, uh, you know, how small a preemie's eyes can be and how delicate. Now, uh, what's the, you know, expectation of the um, prognosis for, you know, these premature babies, for example, that have retinopathy or prematurity? Uh, you know, how, if, I, I guess, what's the range of, prognoses uh, you know do most of them tend to everything is fine because of the state of the art care that we have now or uh, does it depend on you know where they are in the access to the care that they have or do most of them end up with you know lifelong consequences I'm just um, curious on that all right first the early detection of the retinopathy it's if you get uh, retinopathy in a stage one or two, probably your ophthalmologist is going to follow the baby the next weeks. And if everything goes okay, he would have a normal development, probably can need glasses because of the prematurity-related myopia, but nothing else. It's okay. Then if he detects a severe uh, retinopathy of prematurity, he would offer treatment. The treatment has to be really fast because after you make the diagnosis, you are usually uh, need to have the, the treatment in the next 72 hours. So this is really important. Um, and then when you have it, you can have myopia post-treatment. Uh, usually this is with the laser treatment uh, because there are... Um, big extensions of the retina that are just uh, lasered and this would um, 
make the, the eye goes bigger than it should. And then if you have uh, anti-angiogenic drugs, you will need to be followed all your life, but probably really um, closely in the first three months after the, the injection. And if you have both, well, you will have to be really closely followed and um, you are probably need glasses uh, when you reach scholar age or before. Um, but usually the prognosis when the treatment it's um, doing in a timely fashion, it's great. It's um, a, a great prognosis and, and the eye gets to be like in a, in a good shape and functioning really well. Then if you have the late stages, uh, probably you might need surgery and that's um, a bit uh, complicated when you have a stage four and especially stage five because those are um, scare tissues and it's really hard to put the retina working again. So uh, that would be really closely followed again because another complications can arise, but especially they would need a great visual stimulation uh, program. Does the, okay, so the, obviously you, you want to avoid the later stages of this disease or, or any yeah. disease or condition. Um, are you seeing this with, we talk about right now with the prematurity, is this only happening in, you know, babies that are premature or can it happen in, uh, you know, just newborn infants in general who are full term? Retinopathy of prematurity, it's um, a disease of the premature baby, luckily. Uh, more premature, more the risk. Okay, but so for newborn, newborns, there are another diseases that can behave as a retinopathy of prematurity that might arise. They tend to be familiar and uh, they tend to be asymmetrical. So uh, there is not very common, but it might happen. So you have to be um, attentive to your kids, especially if you notice uh, some of the red flags that we talked about earlier, uh, because you might need a, a good diagnosis there. No, I think that makes a, a lot of sense. Um, why did you get into this area? If you don't mind me asking, uh, like why retinopathy of prematurity? Well. I, I, I am attracted to vessels. New vessels are extremely interesting because, as you said before, they are a common feature in the wet AMD, then in the diabetic uh, retinopathy, then they appear again in, uh, for example, in uh, retinal vein occlusion. So new vessels in the eye are really um, not well tolerated by the eye and they are a common feature of a lot of ischemic situations of the eye. So ischemia is one of the, of the oldest uh, noxes that we can have in, in, the, in the body. And our cells respond really differently uh, to ischemia and it's a really interesting path. That's why I just 
feel so uh, attracted to these new vessels and and the pathophysiology of the of the disease is really interesting. And well, retinopathy of prematurity is interesting to me also because it's a really vulnerable population. So um, I think that the more we understand this, the potential for those babies, it's really important because I, I'm, I, don't, I don't mean to be rude, but if you have a wet AMD, you're talking about a person who has lived his life in a manner um, and it's a, a blinding disease, it's, it's annoying, but they don't lose visual field, like they, they keep some things. In prematures, first we are just stopping the normal development with the retinopathy. If you, if you keep in mind that the, in stage five you have the whole retina detached and that our brain needs the stimuli to keep seeing, Let's imagine that in a few years we just avoid the, the, the detachment. So if, if I have a 15 years old that had a retinopathy of prematurity and had a lack of stimuli, even if I'm, I'm capable of reattach his retina, he would not see because the problem is in the pathway. So that's why I find it really interesting to work in the early development of the eye. Yeah, so it's, it just makes me think of some other questions. And we're going to wrap up soon here because I don't want to take all your time today, but I have uh, a, you know, a couple of follow-up questions. When we talk retinopathy of prematurity, um, do you know offhand if uh, babies or, you know, have retinopathy of prematurity are also more at risk for other um, systemic diseases related to, you know, new blood vessel formation uh, or other ocular conditions, you know, like wet AMD when, when they're older? Well, that would be great to know. Unfortunately, we don't have um, multicentric studies with that long term of follow-up. Yeah, that makes sense, I suppose. So, you know, you're talking 60, 80 years of... It's, of, it's, of complex of study yeah um we have followed uh in our center we have uh 15 years old 12 years old like there there are a few uh kids that we are following but it's only one center and so we we haven't found yet uh another neovessel formation issues in this population uh, but to be sure, we need uh, a deep study of the of the field and a long term study, and we don't have that yet. No, that makes it makes sense. Uh, but you know, when you're saying that, <clears throat> excuse me, you're attracted to, you know, uh, neo vessels in general, that that area, um, it's it's a domain that has such broad impacts in vision, but also outside of vision, right? So. Um, you know, the idea of new blood vessel formation, whether it's, uh, you know, related to ischemic events in the body, whether it's related to, uh, tumor, you know, on, yeah, tumor, yeah. tumor formation, exactly, oncology, you know, there's, um, yeah, I mean, this is where we got Avastin from, right, was from, exactly. from oncology and then started using it uh, uh, in the eye and then developing it from there uh, in, other, exactly. in other therapies as well. So, uh, you know, understanding something that, 
works in the eye in some of these conditions could have broad impacts uh, in other domains and yeah yeah, and and vice versa so uh and you know like when i was doing research um i know i was involved in some of this type of research as well and found it endlessly fascinating and endlessly confusing (laughs) so uh (laughs) but you know there's certainly been some some progress since that time but um listen jenny i don't want to take all your time but uh, i do want to you know thank you for um taking the time to chat with me today you know i think we've covered some uh good topics for the audience you know we've did a done a dive into retinopathy prematurity and, and what it is and, and what to expect um, and some of the ways that we can um, or a physician not we maybe you you're your physician there's a way you can handle it or deal with it and help patients <laughs> uh, and then I you know the you know the red flags that we talk about uh, for parents to look out for during visual development uh, as their kids are young I think those are it's not information you find uh, in too many places so I think that uh, people listening to this are going to certainly you know take that that away and um yeah you know i've certainly learned a few things as as well so i appreciate you taking the time to share your your knowledge with me and uh, with the audience today it's a pleasure for me i want to thank you again for the invitation and for the audience to be hearing this yeah excellent thanks so much have a nice day you too bye